0: Philippians chapter 1. We'll be going back into Philippians this week. We'll be looking at verses uh, 18 through 26 in Philippians chapter 1. And if you would like to use a church or pew Bible, there should be one near your row, and that'll be on page 980. 980. Uh, Before I begin this morning, I will... uh, Next week, I had a lot of announcements today that uh, that just kind of all came all of a sudden, which is great. I mean, all these things happening. But next week, you remember a couple... Um, A month ago, maybe not quite a month ago, we had a congregational meeting, okay? And we talked about some various ministries and things like that. Next week, I'm going to give you the findings that we kind of dug out as we looked at that as a session. And so next week, we'll talk about that, and we'll be actually talking about that in the the coming weeks. One of the things that came out in that meeting, though, that uh, you folks talked about that's already kind of been in work is the desire just to fellowship and to be together more. And so Carolyn Swanson's our new director of events here. <laughs> Woo-hoo! And Carolyn, you know, that's why we're having these dinners of eight, and we're going to do some other things throughout the year to have some more fellowship together. And um, what's interesting is we were already talking about that, and it's good, but that dinners of eight came out in that meeting. And so Carolyn, thank you for all you're doing already. Uh, It's been good to work with Carolyn. She's a lot of fun to work with. You should at least have to experience that sometime in your life. So maybe she can do a lot of different jobs, right? She's a lot of fun. Um, As we come to our text this morning, Uh, Charles Spurgeon once said these words. He said this, there are some texts in the Bible that are so big that if the preacher did nothing but just repeat the text the whole sermon long, you'd have a great sermon. Now, this text is one of those texts. I, I thoroughly enjoyed studying this. As a matter of fact, I could probably do maybe 10, 20 sermons out of this small text. I almost made a decision to cut it in half at one point this week. But I decided not to. It's just a wonderful text. It's big. Um, before we read the Scripture, though, and get into that text, I want to remind us where we are in the letter, because it's been a, over a week. And... Um, and just to kind of be reminded of where Paul is when he writes this and, and so we could really have the emphasis of what Paul is saying. If you look down at verses in chapter 1, 12 through 14, you'll notice that Paul begins there by explaining his, his circumstances. And um, they, and, he note, and he note that he says here that they're actually these circumstances are actually causing the gospel to move forward rather than hinder the gospel. Then in verses 15 through 18, you see him kind of making a side statement where he pauses to answer, I think, a thought that he believes they're asking. And and it could be that because of Aphrodite, he knows some of the questions that they're asking and some of the care. So he kind of turns a little bit, and then he returns to his circumstances. And so what are his circumstances here as he writes the book of, or the letter of Philippians. He's in prison. Paul is in prison. In the Roman world, imprisonment was rarely long-term punishment. It was not like our jail system today. While debtors could go and be imprisoned until their family or friends paid off a debt, most prisoners were awaiting either a trial or execution. And so they were going to go to trial, they would be set free, or they would go and be executed. So the conditions of the imprisonment were closely linked to the status of the prisoner. For example, non-Roman citizens, even of high status, were often harshly treated. In contrast, though, house arrest was typically more comfortable for the prisoner and they, would, they could still host visitors. However, you have to understand that when we talk about this, they were still chained to a guard. Most likely at this time, Paul was under house arrest. And if that's the case, it would have been for about two years. And just think of it, Paul is chained. I want you to think about that just for a moment. Young people, you want to get a car. You want to go places. You want to do things. Can you imagine being chained to someone else? For two years. 24 hours a day. Seven days a week. Think about it. Unbelievable. Various shifts of guards would come in. Hard, professional, trained soldiers. You can imagine the hardship and the suffering that went along with this, can't you? The slow, monotonous months just passing away day by day as Paul is chained to a guard. He's, he's, his life is just slipping away. There's nothing to do. You'd think that perhaps Paul might have something to say about hardships and sufferings that we face today, wouldn't you? Paul would know. And so as we come to our Bibles, that's what we'll see this morning. We'll see how Paul faced these things. Let's open up to Philippians 1, 18 through 26, if you haven't already, and let's read the Word of God. We'll start at 18b. yes. To live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is the glorious Word of God. Let us pray. Father, thank You that Your Word never fades, that it stands true throughout time. Lord, we thank You for Paul's writing to the Philippians and that we are able to look into that mailbox and read that mail and be encouraged, greatly encouraged in what we read. And so, Father, may the Holy Spirit guide and direct our thinking this morning. May we um, see things, understand things that we need to for your glory, that we would grow in grace. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. These verses tell us many things. And one of the things that we want to focus on this morning is they tell us of the burning hope that keeps Paul from being discouraged in his present situation. And it should be of great hope to us as well. Um, The first thing that we want to look at this morning is that there is a reality to suffering. There is a reality to suffering and then, secondly, there, uh, we want to look at the reason to rejoice in suffering. What would be the reason to rejoice in suffering? Because that's obviously what Paul is doing here. So let's unpack this a little bit. What I find fascinating as we think about uh, this reality to suffering uh, is this letter... Um, as it, is, as it is read, which means as as it is being written, you can almost feel the anxiety as Paul writes it um, to the Philippians. They're wondering what is going on with Paul. They're concerned with Paul. And so behind this uh, is, is, is this fact that the Philippians are quite shocked at what has happened to him. If you think about it, as they've sent out this person to give him money, in their minds they're thinking, what in the world is Paul doing in prison? How could the man who started our church, who who planted our church, that great missionary, that shepherd, that preacher, the apostle of God, how could he be in prison? How could this be a good thing? How can we as Christians survive if He is put to death? How could we even carry on? It is inevitable that we will face sorrow in this world. And despite the name it and claim it uh, prophets of the day, the Scriptures are very honest with us about the reality of suffering. Uh, Psalm 34, 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. James 1, 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when... Not if, but when you meet trials of various kinds. Even the Lord Jesus said these words. He says, in the world, you will have tribulation. It's a fact. Suffering can come at us from many different levels. It can come through, you know, students maybe bad grades. It can come in terms of sickness. It can come in terms of car accidents. It can come in disappointments. In relationships, it can come in broken promises, betrayal. Maybe it can come at the end of a job when you hear those words, you are no longer needed. It can come from the death of a cherished and loved one. It can come from the words, you have cancer. It manifests itself daily in the hard grind of life, whether it be dealing with long-term health issues, financial issues, a relationship that, uh, that has gone south. Whatever the case may be, you'll find yourself uh, uh, distracted. You'll find yourself brokenhearted every time you think about this particular circumstance, no matter what it is in your life. It's hard to carry on. It could be that you feel the ripples... The ripples that uh, fall and somehow touch you intimately. In other words, it's someone else that's having the problem, the suffering, the situation, the circumstance. And, And it touches you because you feel the ripples and you know down in your soul that whether it's with them that it's hurting or with you that it's hurting, this is just not right. This is not the way it should be. And we know as we think about this that it's because of sin. Sin is the cause of suffering, and it is the curse that we face. And so it is going to happen. As the Scriptures point out over and over and over again, it is the normal part of the Christian life. It is the normal part of this world. And if I may be so bold here, I would say that it seems to be one of the ways that God works out His plan for His people. It sounds kind of harsh, but I see it in Scripture. We pray for growth, and we pray for faith, and we think that God is going to answer that prayer in maybe deeper quiet times, or an easier road to walk, or, or maybe better relationships. unless in like broken water heaters, or bad transmissions. We think that maybe He'll fix my kid. Our kids, maybe you think, if I pray hard enough and I trust him long enough, maybe he'll fix my parents. (laughs) On the other hand, perhaps we have aging parent relationship issues. Every time we go through things like this, in our heart of hearts, we just want everything to work out. We want it all to go smooth. And we think to ourselves, isn't that what the blessings of God look like? But in reality, we should never, ever be surprised that our faith not only expects but includes suffering. Paul experienced suffering. So have you. So you may be even now. So you will. Face, suffering. And I want you to see that this is kind of what is behind this text that is going on here. This is the the feel, so to speak, behind the words that are being written. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves as we come to this text and as we think about it is is how does Paul face it? How does he face it? How does he face the reality of suffering? Suffering. Well, I want you to see in our second point, and it's, it's longer by the way, okay? I want you to see in our second point that there, the, the reason to rejoice in suffering, that there is a reason to rejoice in suffering. When suffering comes to us, we all know this, it comes with much thought, you know? Um, you're wrestling with the situation and you're asking questions you know about the particular circumstance that you're in you may be saying why did this happen why why did this happen to me Um, you may be uh, wrestling with uh, how could this have happened Uh, what did I do wrong what could I have done differently how am I going to move forward What needs to be taken care of? Am I going to survive? Will everything be okay? There's all sorts of questionings, whether that suffering is small or large, that you begin to ask and you begin to think about. It's the thing that keeps you up in the middle of the night as you're wrestling with the circumstance that you're in. It is evident from the text that Paul has been thinking much about his circumstances in the previous text that uh, we would read before this, uh, Mark Toomes touched on it a few weeks ago. Paul was thinking about how he is no longer out there proclaiming the gospel. He's chained, so he's not able to go out there. And, and so he, he, he kind of points out to the Philippians, and you can see his thought process here. Yeah, I'm not out there sharing the gospel, but the gospel's still going forward. Now, sometimes it's going forward in cases better than others. You know, some are not preaching it like they should be. They're preaching out of vain conceit. And yet, the gospel goes forward. He also thought about, yet here I am in prison and I'm chained to these guys. And yet, it's really served to advance the gospel. How has that happened? Well, as those guards have been changing out, they hear Paul's story. They get to know who Paul is. He rubs off on them. And they hear his story and the imperial guard is introduced to the fact that Paul is imprisoned for Christ. More than this, which is incredible that he relates to this, is that not only that, because that's happening, because that's going on, even brothers on the outside who are proclaiming Christ in the right way, they're getting more bold. Because they realize the situation I'm in. They see my boldness. They see me continuing to preach the gospel, even though I should be sitting in a corner, crying my eyes out, begging for mercy. They see me preaching the gospel. So they're emboldened. It's incredible. We see even more revealed in his innermost heart as he expresses his thoughts beginning in verse 22. In verse 22, in our text that we read this morning, he is torn between two desires before him. While there could be uh, other things that God could do here, and I can imagine several other things, what Paul sees is he sees two most probable possibilities before him. And it's very simple. He's either going to be killed, he's going to be executed, or he's going to be set free. And that's it. He's going to be killed or he's going to be set free. So he says in verse 23, I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So he is torn in desiring to be with the Lord Jesus and and with the idea of remaining uh, to continue to minister the gospel up to others. This is amazing. I want you to think about the thing that he's wrestling with here. I could die and I'll be with the Lord. Or I can stay here and I can minister the Lord. That's what he has before him. And it's amazing that he's he's looking at it such that way. Paul, What what Paul is basically saying here is this. What lies before me, it's like the business term, win-win. You all have heard of the business term. It's a win-win. You win, I win. Well, that's what's going on with Paul here. No matter what happens in this situation, I win. I win. And all this... His imprisonment, uh, his suffering, his hardship, his immobility, his life or his death. Doesn't matter. He wins. He wins. It's quite amazing, isn't it? How? How could this be so? How could Paul have this mindset? How could he live or die and still win? What is Paul's reason to rejoice in suffering? It all hinges on the first several verses of our text. I want you to look back at what he says beginning at verse 18b. He says, yes, I will rejoice. Why? Why is he going to rejoice? Verse 19, for I know. He knows something here. He understands the not so secret to all of life. It is so incredible to see his thoughts unfold in the latter. And, and he, he begins, he says that, and then he kind of starts peeling through it till he gets to the center. So I want you to see his first thought here. His first thought in verse 19 is deliverance. He knows that all of this will turn out for his deliverance. Deliverance here is literally salvation. He is sure of this, whether he is acquitted And discharged from prison or not, if he's executed, it doesn't matter. His salvation is clear. His salvation is sure. His deliverance is going to happen. He is quoting here from the Septuagint's rendering of Job, chapter 13, verse 16, where Job expects vindication from God, and he knows that he can count on God's faithfulness and final vindication in Christ. So what he's doing is is he's saying, I'm laying it out on the line. I know you're true. I know you're real. I know I'm saved. And he rests in that. So do you see it? No matter what suffering he he goes through. No matter what glories he goes through. He knows in the end that Christ will save him through the gospel. The second thought here that he comes about is help. The second thought is help. Notice how this works out. This is, is again, amazing. There's two aspects together here. The divine and the human. This salvation, how will this salvation come about in verse 19? It will come about by the Spirit's enabling, which comes to Him as a result of what? The Philippians' prayer. He says, by, by those prayers, I will be helped by the Holy Spirit. I will be supplied by the Holy Spirit. Even in such confidence of His destiny, He sought the Philippians' help. Do you understand that? His deliverance would come through their prayers and the help given by the Holy Spirit. Grammatically speaking here, Paul considered these two ideas to be closely related. And thus he communicates that they have both provided the means through which the goal is achieved. What does this mean for us? what this means for us specifically is is what Paul is telling us is, is as I pray and as the spirit works those two go together they're both the means by which I will be delivered do you realize how powerful your prayers are do we really think about that in the book of James he tells us he says look You have because you do not ask. I want you to think about that just for a moment. You have because you do not ask. What does this tell us to do? To ask. The prayers of a righteous man availeth much. You may say, but Patrick, I'm not righteous, nor am I. But He is. He is. And He has made you righteous by His righteousness alone. And so you, as the body of Christ, you, as the people of God, are powerful in your prayers. Powerful. What does it look like? You know, what that looks like is that the prayers of man and the sovereignty of God somehow work together. It's a mystery. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Don't ask me to explain it. And if some of you know, please tell me. We'll write a book together. We'll make a million dollars. I'm telling you. Because everybody wants to know. We don't know, but I'm telling you, that's it. Look at it this way. When you look at the difference between the sovereignty of God in and Christianity and, and Allah wills in Islam, they're different in this way. Okay? They're different in I don't want you to understand this. This is like Star Wars. It's a force. Okay, and it just does what it will. Christianity is a personal God. Personal God. Fatalism, personal God. And so that's why we can pray in his sovereignty. And so, you know, when Peter's, when Paul was in, or well, when Peter's in prison, you remember in the book of Acts, uh, the people are praying, and, and they're the ones that they doubt. Well, Peter's out there at the gate. The little girl goes out of the gates. You know, what? he's out there. He's been released from prison. Well, he's in prison. we have been praying for him. No, he's out there at the gate. Don't you understand? That's what I'm talking about. And so, what God's going to do is is that if we ask, James continues, if we ask for right motives according to the kingdom of God, he's going to answer us. You know, I used to joke when I was a youth pastor that that doesn't mean that I can pray for, you know, as an 18 year old for a Ferrari and a hot blonde to ride in the car with me. It doesn't mean I can do that. That may be outside of God's will, actually. Might be. And so what what the Lord does is He works in and through those prayers in His sovereignty. And so when God's going to do something, He's going to do something. But He invites us to be with Him in asking for that. And here Paul is in prison. And this is what he's saying. I'm going to be delivered because of your prayers and because of the help of the Spirit, the supply of the Spirit. Those two go together. Mystery, but powerful. No matter what happens to Paul, he will have salvation. Thought three, which we're going kind of deeper in the circle here. Thought three. Expectation and hope are his next thought in the text. Folks points out that the word translated eagerly expect means straining forward with the outstretched head and its uh, prepositional prefix implies a turning aside from all under other interests. And so Paul is, it's like the way the some of the Greek uh, dictionaries talk about is it's like straining to look. He's eager. You know, it's like they use it actually in some of the Greek uh, texts in terms of spying. You know, he's eagerly looking and he's trying to see. And so what it communicates here is that Paul has one supreme ambition that Christ may be exalted in his body whether that's living or dying, that Christ may be seen by others more clearly in His true greatness. His expectation and hope all along His life, whether in good situations or bad situations, whether in plenty or in want, whether in safety or in crisis, His full-life pilgrimage in Christ was one that was desired to be shaped into glory to Christ. That's what he expected. He he knew it was coming. He could feel it. He was earnestly looking for it. It was all real to him. It was all true. You know that old saying, he could feel it in his bones. He knew it. And so as we think about these thoughts as they layer out, what is at the center of it? What is at the center of Paul's deliverance and salvation? What is at the center of the help that he expects through prayer and the Spirit? What is at the center of his expectation and hope? The central driving force of Paul's thoughts here and everywhere are this. For me to live as Christ. And die as gain. I love how the Greek lays it out. It says, for me to live Christ and die gain. <laughs> the is are added. I love that. It shows the emphasis. For him to live as Christ and to die as gain. How about that for a life burst? How about that for something before us continually? We could almost sit here and memorize that today, couldn't we? For me to live as Christ and to die as game. Moyer points out that Paul illuminates this for us in in, uh, in later on in the book in, in three. Uh, chapter 3, verses 4 through 8, because he uses the word gain there as well. You might remember that there in the passage, he's looking back to the day when Christ became everything to him. And he had candidly added it all up and he's weighing it out and he's saying, what is the most valuable thing? I've counted all things. I've looked at all things. What is the most valuable? He finds Christ as the most valuable. And he gladly surrendered All to Him and for Him. To be all for Christ while I live and to find at length He is all for me when I die. Isn't that a beautiful statement? To be all for Christ while I live and to find at length He is for me when I die. How precious. This is the reason for Paul's Rejoicing in suffering. Christ. In all of life as it came to him in the various provinces of God, he found Christ. In all of life as it fell upon him to to be lived, he found the circumstances set for him, the opportunity given to him to love and to follow Christ. In the attraction and the pressure and the strains and the hardness of life, he found it a privilege to be receiving Christ and employing His grace to live by faith in the Son of God. In other words, whether in the good life or the struggling life or the suffering life, all was Christ to him. I want to close today with two illustrations. Um, I love it when... um, and I'm just going about life, and these illustrations come about. I'm like, ooh, that would be really great for this uh, this Sunday. So this week, these things happen. Um, first of all, I made a call, uh, I think it was Wednesday, um, to a friend that some of you know, uh, Bill Cobb. Bill Cobb is an elder at Trinity Presbyterian Church, and back in January, he was in a horrific car accident. Um, it, uh, it broke his nose uh, cracked several ribs. He had a fracture in his T3 vertebrae. And uh, he went into the hospital and it was rough and it was awful. And then he went over to um, the rehab hospital and he just got out last week. And you know, it's not, and, and it's interesting because he's an older gentleman. And so there were a lot more health related things that happened in response to even to this accident that, that, that uh, were, were painful and awful and, and, and just downright um, uh, difficult for him. And um, we were talking, and I asked him, I said, well, how are you? And, of course, he shares in his, jo- he's jovial, in his jovial way, you know, I've been better, but I'm good. And I said, well, tell me about your time there. And, and he began to tell me about how he, you know, the fears that he had. Um, you know uh, the, the the break and, and the possibility of some sort of spinal cord damage. He, he began to tell about how you know things would look good for a day, and then all of a sudden he would go back like ten steps backwards, and and the doctors would tell him things that he didn't want to hear. And he said it was such a struggle. You know what what am I going to do? And and uh, disappointments and pain. One day, a little lady came up to him and said, you know, you're going to have to do some rehab. And he's like, look, I've been doing rehab this morning. I can't. I'm in severe pain. Please stop. And she goes, will you please just do this for me? And so she pressed him. And he did it. And he said it was awful. I said, well, what was your mindset, brother? I hear your pain. I hear your fear. I hear your disappointments. What was your mindset? He goes, Patrick, honestly, this was the thing. This is what he said. I'm stuck here. Lord, what do you want me to do with this? Sounds like Paul, doesn't it? I'm stuck here. What do you want me to do with this? So he said, I just tried to put on Christ. in my pain, he goes, this almost makes you weep. The lady that came to do that, she was very stressed and he could tell. There was something going on in her work world. And he didn't know what it was and she didn't reveal it. But he said afterwards, she said, Thank you so much. You have made my day in just walking with me through this. Because even in his pain and even in that discomfort, he shared the joy of Christ with her. And at the end of it, he said, Can I pray for you? Of course, she's Hindu. But she said yes. And tears began to come from her eyes. Being Christ in all of the situations that we're put in. That's what Bill models for us. That's what Paul models for us. Another story that's along the same lines but maybe even different is Paul Hahn this week at the M&A network meeting that I attended on Monday and Tuesday, he talked about how um, he was um, sharing uh, with a brother who was on his deathbed. And uh, Pastor Jameson, and uh, I think he was from California, and an older brother, and he was eat up with cancer. And it was so bad that he couldn't even talk. At that point, when Paul went to meet him. And Paul said, I went in there, and you know, I've got my, you know, I'm I'm busy, I've got my my stuff I've got to do. So I've got my kind of pick out my couple verses to read to him and pray for him, and I'm gonna move on. And he says, when I went in there, he looked at me and he just he just with as much as he could pour out in his voice, he's like, Read. And so he said, I sat there for two hours and I read the Bible to him. And when I would pause, he would do it again. Read. And he says, I just read to him. And he said, I left. And um, later on, you know, he passed away and went to be home with the Lord. And his, his family shared with Paul, just after you left, this is what he said. As, as well as we could hear him, he said this. It's all true. All of it. Words from a dying man. It's all true. All of it. That's what Paul is saying here. It's all true. All of it. I'm willing to stake my life on it. I'm in prison for it. I might die for it, but it's all true. So the question, people of God, is this. Are you all in? Are you all in? You know, we're not where we want to be sometimes when it comes to the Lord. I know I'm not. But what he calls us to do is gaze upon his glory. Glory. He calls us to delight in His presence, to to meditate upon His grace, to embrace His love. He calls us to hear His words of hope for you today as you walk with Him. Sure, there'll be dark times. Some may be current, and most certainly they will be coming ahead, no matter what. No matter what may come. Cling to the words of hope in your life and heart from Christ. Think of it. Christ suffered and died because of His great love for you. He entered into prison. The prison of this broken and sinful world to free you. He entered into bondage to free you. The bondage of the cross. He is not absent. And our trials and tribulations and troubles. He knows your sorrows because he is a man of sorrows. And he entered into this world of suffering. And he walked miles and miles and miles in our shoes. Paul knew this was all true. He knew that it was real. And he knew that no matter what circumstances were before him, he would be delivered. He would be saved. He would magnify his precious Savior either way. So let us sing with Paul here in just a little bit. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is my life. I'm all in. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your mercy and grace to us in Your Word. It is a big, big passage that we could meditate on all week long and see different angles and different focuses. What a beautiful text before us. I pray that uh, You would use this to encourage us in our walk with You. That we would, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and by your grace alone be all in. Help us to look past the trivial pursuits of this world to the glories of that which is to come, that which is. May your life be praised in ours, Lord. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let us